Life's Learning Curve, episode 52. Podcasting not very far for the brand spanking new axe-throwing business. Hey, right downtown here in the mid-Midwest, it's Life's Learning Curve, the podcast. I'm Paul Hart, your host. Hey, I'm not kidding. There's another new axe-throwing lounge here within the region here. So we have two, as far as I know, there's two locally. I'm seeing a growing trend here. Uh, Just why are so many people needing to throw axes these days? Uh, Think about that. (laughs) You know what? I was uh, taken back today. I I rode my bike for the first time in a couple of years. And there was some major fallout for me. But more on that later. Escape. Let me just say that bicycles, bikes, were always really important in my life, throughout my life. I was told that when I was a kid, I was very shy, and I was always searching for any way to find my voice and my confidence. I was very quietly looking for myself. Little did I know, having a bicycle would actually help me emerge from the hazy shyness that I maintained throughout my life. But it took me most of my life to truly understand life's privilege of bike travel. Life's Learning Curve. I'm Paul Hart. Episode 52, Just Like Riding a Bike. Stand by. We were taught at a very early age, usually by a parent, usually. For me, it was my dad to ride a bike. And after learning to balance and not falling over at an early age, we visualize a grander purpose for that bike. Escape, my first escape, it was down my driveway of my house. For a lot of years after you learn to balance, you ride up and you ride down the driveway, up and down, up and down, down and up until your line of sight begins to see things beyond the restrictions of the yard. Someday you will break that perimeter and you'll break free. (laughs) Now, my bicycles over the years, at age six, I got my sister's deep, dark, blue hand-me-down bike. Age eight, I think or so, I got a single speed red Schwinn Typhoon. You pedaled it and you know, when you went to brake, you pushed backwards and you back tire skidded. Pedal braking. Great for laying skid marks by the back patio of our house and making my mom yell. Knock off all the skidding. It sounds like a dog is being hit by a car. Age 10. A golden colored Schwinn three speed that I scrimped and saved for over a year to try and purchase. At age 16, I got a green no-name bike, literally no name, it was green. And I bought it at a clothing store called Gunter's Men's Fine Clothing in St. Charles, Illinois. Weird, but true. Now I took that green no-name bike from high school through all of college and into adult life through marriage. At age 32, I purchased a mountain bike at a bike shop where my green no-name 10-speed literally crumbled and bent 
as I rode it. And regarding the mountain bike, that bike's been a trooper ever since I've had it. Finding a new me. Now in second grade, the rules changed for me regarding staying in the perimeter of the yard. My mom and dad said that if seven-year-old me watched for cars and stopped at all intersections, I would be allowed to bike outside the yard's perimeter. I was allowed to ride my Red Schwinn Typhoon bike, the one that when you pedal backwards, it, the brakes applied. I could ride it three blocks away, all the way up to Cleveland Avenue. So after school, most days, I pedaled to play with my friend Paul up on Cleveland Avenue. Now getting back to the shy thing, I, I was told early in life that I was shy. People tell you this all the time if you're shy. You're shy. Okay. Hey, all I knew was that I thought a lot, but I spoke very little. By getting to bike to Paul's house, we then took our bikes everywhere. And sometimes we even went to the Forbidden Creek area where my bike got full of dust and dirt and creek water when some older bullies tried to terrorize us. See Life's Learning Curve called The Creek for more on that. But away from the creek, uh, Paul and I rode our bikes because we're in second grade as fast as we could, you know, stopping at the intersections. But then we would slam on the pedal brakes, making the bike tires skid. We had contests, the longest skid, the loudest skid. We put playing cards in the spokes of our bikes with uh, clothesline clips to give a, kind of an engine clicking sound. And we proudly rode our bikes up and down Cleveland Avenue making engine sounds, manual shifting. So you're on your bike and you're going Boy sounds. We were making boy sounds. The quiet, shy version of me was learning how to cut loose a bit, thanks to my Red Schwinn Typhoon bike and my ability to exceed the perimeter of my yard and my friend Paul. Now back at home, my dad encouraged me to wash my Schwinn Typhoon bike and oil the chain of my bike weekly. I did. You gotta take care of your bike. Because he took the time to show me how. He was teaching me you know, life responsibilities. He taught me that having a bike was a privilege. It was a privilege denied to many. Not everybody had a bike. He didn't have a bike growing up. However, he was proud to get me a bike, even if it was a used one at first. Listen, son, not everybody has a bike. You're lucky to have it. Take care of this bike. It's treated like it's one of the most important things you own. Be proud that you have a bike, okay? Okay, Dad, thanks. My dad emphasized that I needed to take care of that bike and always be proud of that bike and satisfied with what I had. I needed to be a happy owner. <laughs> My dad took good care of our house and he took good care of the cars. Always, therefore, I needed to show responsibility and care for my bike. Rear ending a Ford Falcon. 
Okay, so that year I turned eight years old and I could exceed the perimeter of our yard, I could ride the community. And there were no home owners in our area that had swimming pools anywhere, except for one family, the Roths. Nice people, good neighbors too. Having a swimming pool just was not common back then. Just five houses down the street. Mr. Roth was assembling an above-ground swimming pool in his side yard. Next, he smartly installed a tall wooden fence for privacy and safety, I imagine. You just couldn't see in unless you were up high. You couldn't see from the outside if you just walked by. So that seven-foot fence surrounded the pool's perimeter. Now, my friends and I rode our bikes there. We rode by daily like invested contractors and we had like we had some sort of a stake in this pool but we were just watching it being built we watched the day-to-day -day progress that's fun to do as a kid one day the mail came and my sister sue and i had received by mail an invitation from the roths there would be an open house pool party at their new pool at 3 p.m. on Thursday. Can we get to go? Yes. Whoa. I remember soon I jumped up and down and we were cheering out of just pure excitement and pure joy. <laughs> After all, it had been a scorcher of a summer. Hot. My mom advised us some things. She told us that sometimes other kids can be kind of well out of control in a pool. Make sure you both have fun when you go there, but be careful of the other kids and be good, positive, happy guests. Use your manners. Maybe the Ross will invite you back to their pool someday. If you can be happy and positive. Happy? Yeah, check. Polite? Check. Positive? Yeah, check. I can do that. <laughs> when Thursday came, my older sister Sue, by three years, she was charged to watch me and we left for our short walk. It was a distance of about five houses down the block. My mom once again reminded us of our manners and to thank Mr. and Mrs. Roth and enjoy the experience, no matter what happened. The Roths had kids of their own, but as I remember, they were older. Well, one was Sue's age, but they were older than I were, so we didn't like hang out or play together, but it was nice to be invited as a neighborhood kid. party I remember getting into my uber cool groovy nobody ever did use the word groovy incidentally except in movies and stuff groovy swim trunks they had uh, they were orange and they had this large belt buckle on them yeah swim trunks with a big belt buckle that was in fashion at that time and my sister Sue wore a black one piece and a swim cap because girls just always did my sister Sue and I made our way to the Roth's house I recall entering and putting our beach towels on patio chairs by the pool and having a hot dog cooked on the grill. Huh, we hadn't done that before, cool. We had red Kool-Aid, I see. Mm. It was hot by the grill and the mid-August day had already hit the 90s. So the obtuse heat of the summer gave way to that swimming pool, up the five steps to the deck. And I was in. A refreshing, energizing dive into sparkling blue fresh water immediately 
paradise in my own neighborhood. Just amazing, I thought. <laughs> that day, all of the other kids that were invited, the rest of the neighborhood kids, as far as I could see, were easy to get along with. And I fully was at ease in that pool that day, splashing and dunking and swimming and diving. Yeah. After a couple of hours quickly passed, our fun day in the water ended. Sue and I happily walked down the block back home. We excitedly told my mom and dad all about it. And of course we asked if we could please have a pool too. No, we're sorry kids, but you know, we're on a budget right now. Now, even at that age, I respected that and I never whined or complained about that fact. That was just the way it was. I was always kind of proud that my family managed money well. I never said anything about it, but I had this feeling we were doing okay, and it was because we managed our money, or they did. It was kind of odd for an eight-year-old, but that was how I felt. I couldn't wait for the next pool party or invitation over to the Roth's pool. Little did I know that that would be my last invitation to swim there, but I didn't know that yet. So. At eight years old, at that time, daily, and I mean yes, daily, I got on my red Schwinn Typhoon bike and I rode past the Roth's house, craning my neck up high to the left, and I'd hear kids splashing around behind the large fence, and you know what people always say, you never want to feed a stray cat because it's going to continue to come back looking and clawing for more food. Well, that's what happened at the Roth's pool in their uber cool backyard. Daily, I'd pass that pool and I noticed random neighborhood kids actually standing, trying to scale the fence to enter the pool. True. That just wasn't right. I knew that, but they were ruining it for the rest of us. I'm sure that made Mr. and Mrs. Roth think, well, you know, we can't invite everybody back all the time. You know, I understand that. Once or twice, Mrs. Roth did invite these kids that stood on their fence into the pool to swim, but it wasn't very frequent. Why is this in my bike episode? Well, here goes. Every day that summer, I continued to ride my red Typhoon Schwinn bike past the Roth's pool. I was so focused on that pool, looking to the left, getting up as high in the pedals as I could to see if I could see over the pool, that I unconsciously ignored what was in front of my bike in me. So very slowly coasting, I crashed into the rear of a parked car. Now I did this not just once, but twice that summer. Rear ending that same parked car across the street. It wasn't the Roth's car, it was the people across the street. And uh, both times I flipped forward over the handlebars of my bike, sprawling me on the rear trunk of that parked deep gray Ford Falcon. Did I scratch that car or dent it? No, I checked. I got off both times and I examined it. Everything, and I mean just about everything, was made to a higher quality back then. My handlebars did twist both times, easily fixable. These days, when I return to the old neighborhood and drive around, I get the chance to revisit my old haunts. And one of the first memories that just flashes quickly is that summer when I double crashed my bike and landed on my back on the trunk of that Ford Falcon. Yet, without 
that red Schwinn Typhoon bike, I would have never learned to pay better attention to the road when I was on a bike or even later in life when I was driving a car. Finding an ultimate getaway. Right around the age of 14 now, the state of Illinois had removed abandoned train tracks and repurposed them into a 35-mile bike path called the Prairie Path. It's still there today. I could easily access that bike path from my parents' house, where I lived at the time, in town, and I rode it southeast. And I did just that, having the first of what I began to call creative solo adventures. What I liked about riding on the path was it was just me in nature. Sometimes you run into somebody else, but it was so new, not many people were on it. It was me. When you got really remote and rural, there'd be just the sounds of birds and the buzzing of the bees and the bugs and my green no-name 10-speed coasting. Click, 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 click bike coasting. This proved necessary for that shy version of me. After riding for a short time, I always found myself kind of getting lost in my thoughts. And as I rode, I would think of music. I would think about writing songs, lyrics, or other songs that were on the radio. I thought about writing stories and how I could take stories in a different direction. Writing screenplays, how movies would be cool to write. Also decoding that I wanted not to be an animator and draw for cartoons like a lot of people thought I was going to do as a kid, but determining that I drew cartoons for many years to communicate my thoughts better. I was not a great artist. I realized that I unknowingly had been making visual storyboards for all these stories that I had been writing in my younger years. I wanted to make films, real life stuff, real people, cinema. Now, other times I would obsess about sports, usually football or baseball, depending on the season. Other times I used the, my prairie path time to work out girlfriend problems, which really weren't problems back then, but they sure did seem like it. Understanding that my world was quite small and capsulized back then was really what everything was all about. Everything I did seemed so enhanced and so very important. I didn't want to goof up, mess up. Now, just like the family car rides my dad used to drive us on on Sundays after church, we'd take long rides, and there was always that proverbial carrot at the end of the fishing pole at the end of the ride. You know, we'd stop and get something to eat, or we'd stop and see friends. My carrot on my bike rides was always found in the small quaint village of Wayne, Illinois. There was a true real-to-life existing general store in this small village, and I would exit the bike trail, pedal the streets westerly, coasting down those blocks. I input visually the unusual quaint rural houses. And each time I rode through Wayne, I had this strange feeling that I had gone back in time. I, I'm thinking, you know, this must be the 1940s or the 1950s, way before I was born. 
It was kind of odd, but it was comfortable, warm, and very home-like a feeling. I'd park my bike and enter that general store and a bell would jingle as I entered. As I slowly walked in, I remember smelling the candy, the fresh fruits, and there was this pungent yet sweet cigar smell, kind of. Making my way to the soda counter, I encountered Mr. Sermonaro, the owner. For many years, Mr. Sermonaro usually had this lit cigar in his mouth. He came to wait on me. And the first time I entered the Wayne Country Store, I told Mr. C that I had ridden the new prairie path into town and I was about six miles away from home to come to Wayne. When I left that day, he said to me, See you next time, Mr. Prairie Path. He nicknamed me. <laughs> I always ordered a Coca-Cola to go in a bottle. Then I would sit outside at a picnic table that he had set up with some fresh flowers in the middle every time, and I'd drink that icy cold Coca-Cola. Ah, nice. I never asked or even bothered to ask about him. I didn't do that. I wish I had. Why? That's because for the next 10, 12, 15 years or whatever it was, each time I came into Wayne on my bike, my green no name, Mr. Sermonero recognized me and happily called out, How's your day going, Mr. Prairie Path? <laughs> I always smiled and made small talk, usually about the day's beauty or the new display in the small country store. Until the day he was just not there anymore. Biking to Wayne, Illinois kind of felt it was comfortable. Like I was going back home or I was going back in time or something. I like that. I think about Mr. Sermonero every now and then from time to time and I'm sure he's long gone but not really. In my mind, Mr. C and his cigar will always be waiting for me at that small country store set in the 1940s. Now, as of today, many, many train lines have been decommissioned and then repurposed into bike paths. Old train track lines make new adventures as bike trails for families and just individuals. Nice. But for me, a memory for life. Yet without my green, no-name, 10-speed bike, I would have never met Mr. C and had my travel back in time adventures. Throughout the summer, when I was 15 years old, still riding the green, no-name, 10-speed bike, this time I was riding it maybe once or twice a week to my girlfriend Vicky's house in the north end of town. Probably my first girlfriend. I was in between freshman and sophomore year of high school and after meeting Vicky at band camp at University of Illinois that summer, we decided to become a couple. Didn't really know what that meant, neither one of us, but that's what we decided. <laughs> Life was really simple and it was innocent and so were we. Too young to date. I frequently found myself on my green, no-name 10-speed pedaling the four and a half miles from the south end of the town through the large animal-filled area called Lord's Park, traversing up and down the hills. The time frame was the late 1970s, and my hair was a part of who I was back then. 
Hair was a big thing in the 70s. Anyway, for guys. Anyway, I always found myself stopping just before getting to Vicky's house at a fast food place called Mr. Burger on the north end of town to grab a small Coke and to regroom. You know, that hair is probably flying all over the place. And guys had some, well, I guess you could call it uncontrollable hair issues. Some of us did. Well, most of us did. Now, I always parked my bike so I could see it when I was ordering. It was visible to me when I went into Mr. Burger to order my small Coke. I could see it from the window to the door. And nobody ever took my bike, but I was trying to be careful with it. It was before I had a bike lock. Each time I biked to the north end of town, and I borrowed my sister's small blue transistor radio, which was about three inches thick, about the size of a two remote controls side by side. I borrowed that radio because I could strap it to the bike's handlebars and ride the bike. And I tuned the radio to AM 89. 890. The Rock of Chicago, 50,000 watt blowtorch WLS music radio blasted out the hits of that era. Because back then radio was king. It was before the internet and we listened to the radio. At that time I have to say, as I rounded those corners really fast, because I was, you know, 15 years old, I rounded those corners fast because like a teenage boy might on a bike the songs came blasting out, such as American Pie that year by Don McLean or Brandy by Elliot Lurie and The Looking Glass, Bang a Gong by T-Rex, and even Elton John's Rocket Man. These songs made my bike ride really an adventure. One late summer day, I made my bi-weekly trip to Vicky's house and stopped at Mr. Burger to groom and to get my Coke. And the workers there were older high school guys. You know, maybe they were 17 or 18, where I was 15. You know, when you're that age, it seems like that's a great difference in age. You feel so young compared to them. They probably saw me as really young, too. They always were kind of nonplussed to see me. What do you want, son? Said the high school senior to me. And then said, we're busy. When you get your Coke, just get out. I remember exiting Mr. Burger with my Coke in hand and discovered that the small transistor radio I had on my handlebars was gone. It had been stolen off my bike. Stealing my joy music was a fracture I couldn't deal with well. I went back inside to ask the workers if they had seen anything and I have to say the guy, high school workers at Mr. Burger really wanted me out of there that day. They were much more interested and had a much kinder tone when the girl in line behind me was now giggling and talking to the guys behind the counter. For me it was, hey, you can't eat in here, you gotta go outside, you're loitering, get out. I had one strong idea that these guys stole the transistor radio. It was one of the workers at Mr. Burger that ripped me off, but I never proved it. Until 15 years later, my sister's husband told me that he was that guy at Mr. Burger that took my sister's transistor radio. However, he didn't know it was me and he didn't know I was related to her. Time had made Ron a better man, kinder, honest, and still now he was full of great humor. And to this day, I still owe my sister a transistor radio. And as for Vicky, 
My girlfriend that summer, that innocent, innocent summer, we watched a lot of bad daytime TV, soap operas and things that moved at a snail's pace. And then there was a commercial, more snail's pace. So we watched a lot of TV and we awkwardly held hands once or twice. What a wonderfully terrible age. <laughs> I remember my mom invited Vicky over to our house for a cookout on Labor Day. And my dad went to pick her up. My, I went with him in the family car. And it felt strange going to her house, not by bike, but by a car. After high school had begun that year and choices for boyfriends multiplied times four, just let me say that my green, no-name, 10-speed bike stayed with me a lot longer than Vicky did. But those were happy, simpler times, and I have very few regrets about them. Yet, without that green, no-name, 10-speed bike that took me all the way across town a lot, I would have never had those great musical and innocent life adventures. In college, I was still riding my green no-name bicycle, and it got me off campus at Eastern Illinois University when things got chaotic or just were not going well, or it was too hectic and I needed to simplify. I was so far from home. We didn't have cell phones back then, and you couldn't phone call because it cost a lot of money. I relied on my bike to remove me from campus. It took me out of the city and relocated me to the end of a very rural, dried up, once muddied access road surrounded by acres and acres of corn. It was a great place to stop in the middle of nowhere, away from roads, away from everything. You could hear the corn blowing in the breeze. It allowed my brain to recruit and to think about challenges and life's frantic pace and I swear my bike was a way for me to organize or resequence myself. It did a lot for me. For more on that, see Life's Learning Curve episode Easter Nights. Post-college, more prairie path. I came back home. I missed the bike path and the adventure of being by myself and thinking through life and dreaming and creating stories or songs or working out problems, usually stupid adolescent girlfriend problems. <laughs> These days, though, I have to say my son, who's now 25, took to traveling by bike even more than I did. Didn't talk about it very much, the bike path, but he just kind of gravitated to the bike path. Same one, just like me. And after he got his driver's license, I thought, well, he won't be riding his bike again. Just the same thing I had thought when I got my driver's license, but I still did. He understood and still understands the solitude and the escape of the bike trail. I do know he likes the escape and the solitude. Although sometimes he meets up with friends on the prairie path and even has camped overnight just probably a few hundred feet by some natural springs that purges this icy cold water from the earth. That's where we ice down our pop dad, or these days, that's where we ice down our beer for the night. I'm sure there's a few stories that a dad really doesn't want to know about what goes on out in the bike path sometimes. 
But hey, I've got my own adventures, which I never bothered to tell my parents. Here's one, such as uh, I remember as a 17-year-old or 18-year-old, I, I got off, I exited the bike trail out in the country because it uh, intersected some a real train line or one that had been once active, but it wasn't now. So I got off to explore this railroad sidetrack, which still existed. And by accident, I put, was kicking my foot and I got it caught between a wedge of train tracks by a switch off the main line. So no trains traveled there anymore, no real danger, but I knew I had to get my foot unwedged. But the drama of my foot being stood stuck there made my subconscious keep hearing a wailing distant train horn. You know, if you start listening for stuff, you start to hear it. I tried to remove my shoe, but the wedge was tight. I tried using my left foot to kick the wedge foot to dislodge my right trap foot, but all I really managed to do by doing that was give myself multiple bruises. Unsuccessful entirely. Eventually the stress from worry caused my foot to perspire or sweat and when that kind of acted like a, uh, this uh, lubricant and my, my foot came out of my shoe and my sock <laughs> with, the, with the shoe still caught in the wedge there, but I did get it out. It, slight sprain, nothing major, it was gone in a couple days. So I was only trapped there, I was caught there for about 15, 20 minutes, it wasn't long, but I was by myself and fear started to creep in and after it was all over, I took my bike and I went up to and sat on this nearby concrete abutment to the upper left part of the tracks just off the prairie path and I heard a train's horn wail again. Yep, a fast-moving seven-freighter car train shot by me. It had not been a defunct train line, as I had heard. I had actually just escaped something pretty dangerous that could have turned out pretty badly. Didn't tell mom and dad that one. After my mom passed away, it was very soon I got on my bike and I rode my bike to the prairie path. 30 years later, I did the same for my father. There's this solitary talk with God type connection that had begun way back at the age of 15 that seemed to be cathartic in a purging mental sense, a very therapeutic thing for me. So as I said at the beginning of this episode, I was taken aback today because I had ridden my bike for the first time in a while. And there was some fallout for me. When people try to remind you of a past skill, they might say something like, ah, oh, it's like riding a bike. In other words, you just do not ever forget it. True. As I zoomed around and I rode to the bank on my bike, a few days ago and to the field to work out I felt exactly the same way I always have the muscle memory was there the uphills were a challenge but no worse than I remember <laughs> I reveled in the solitude in the freedom it's great when that stuff comes back I felt as if I was like 18 years old again and now although I'm retired 
several years ago. Mentally, I felt 18. You know, you feel that way. You soon begin to assume you look that way as well. Mentally, there I was, 18 years old, riding my bike down the hill and through the small community in which I lived. Feeling healthy and upbeat, I stopped to let traffic pass, and I looked up and saw myself in the reflection of a local bakery. It took me a second, but I blinked a couple times and I wondered, who is that I'm seeing? Oh no, wait, who is that? Oh no, that's an old guy. That's, that's me. What happened? Time happened. I thought growing older would take longer. Therefore, I can say this. Life is just like riding a bike. You never forget how to do it, but just don't expect your mental image to match your true-to-life physical image. <laughs> so do not regret growing older. It's a privilege denied to a lot of people. True. Just like riding a bike, huh? For life's learning curve, I'm Paul Hart. Subscribe to Life's Learning Curve at lifeslearningcurve.org and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser. Episode 52 of Life's Learning Curve podcast was put together by producer Sebastian T. Dog, executive producer Paul Hart, technical director Heidi Cerner, editor Paul Richards, audio and sound Riley Hart, production manager Butch Gregor, studio equipment manager Don Compton. Find us on Facebook and listen to us just about everywhere podcasts are heard these days. Visit our website as well, lifeslearningcurve.org. And subscribe, read a blog, or shoot us the email. This episode has imaginative voice recreations. To protect the privacy of others, some names have been changed and characters conflated. Episode 52, just like riding a bike. <laughs> I'm Paul Hart, and we will be back soon when we revisit the Great Southwest one more time. Coming up from Life's Learning Curve. We're clear. We're clear. We're clear.